Welcome to the Possibility Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Milbleton, a.k.a. Possibility Man. We are committed to bringing you guests who strive to better people's lives and serve as a force for good in the world. Our guest today is Adam LaSalle. In 1983, an incident left Adam totally blind, and he discovered the true meaning of resilience. Today, he holds a master's degree in historical studies. He works as a customer service professional. Today, Adam and his wife live in the greater Richmond, Virginia area. Adam LaSalle, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, look, I am excited. I'm looking forward to this conversation. But first, a reminder to our listeners and our viewers, follow, like, and share this podcast wherever you find it. Your support matters and is appreciated. Adam, how is life treating you today? <laughs> Excellent. Can't complain whatsoever. <laughs> uh-huh. Look, I-, I want to go back. I know that I mentioned in my introduction of you that there was an incident in 1983, and if you don't mind taking us on a journey before 1983, what was life like for you? What were you up to as a teenager? <laughs> well, I was living the ordinary life. You know, I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, lived there for 10 years and uh, throughout the 70s. And in the late 70s, moved down to Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I was just living the ordinary life. Now, uh, mm-hmm. well, I guess it wasn't totally ordinary. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my stepfather was very abusive to our mm-hmm. whole family. Mm-hmm. And it was he in 1983 that shot me. Oh, my. And that's okay. how I lost my sight. Okay. Okay, we'll come back to that in a moment. Now, you said you were just an ordinary kid. You know, living his life, what kinds of things did you enjoy doing? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things I always used to love when we when we moved down to Mississippi, we lived like 23 miles from town. So it was way out in the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, our nearest neighbors were five miles away. And we lived on a vast farm. We didn't own it, but um, it was a vast area, 3,000 acres, wow. 2,000 of which was woods. And my brother and I, you know, we were pretty young, you know, 10, 11, 12. We would always, always have to get wood for the fire, for the stove, to heat the house. And rather than take a chainsaw out, we used to walk in the woods with an axe and just, you know, mm-hmm. find trees that were kind of, you know, already fallen or whatever. But it gave, I know it great gave me a great opportunity to enjoy and learn about nature. Yeah. And the thing is, those walks I didn't realize they were preparing me. I felt it was to me. It was it's kind of like a divine. Those are the pictures I have in my head now that I I can only see darkness now. You know, since I'm blind. I don't have those pictures of the beautiful woods now. Okay. So did you uh did you enjoy sports early on, you know, as a as a mid-teen? Always. Um <laughs> and of course, being from Pittsburgh, you know, 
I go Steelers. Okay. <laughs> I always okay. love sports. Uh-huh. Now I tried to play football and first time I was hit, I realized this hurts. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was, I it realized was... I never could play play sports, but I always watched it. Okay. And I still do. Okay. So what were some of your aspirations as a pre, you know, pre-17-year-old kid? What kinds of things did you say, you know, this is what I would like to do when I grow up? Well, you know, also my my stepfather, although he was a very abusive, he mm. was also brilliant. Mm. And he always had a vast library in, in the house. And being so far from town, we often didn't have a lot to do. So I read voraciously. I mean, <laughs> one of the first books I remember reading was by Winston Churchill. And I was 10 years old. And wow. He's not he's not an easy read. Right. But I read, I remember I read, I used to love this one author called uh, C.S. Forrester, Horace mm. Hornblower. And I also read this book called The Big E about the Enterprise. And I fell in love with the US Navy. Mm. And I wanted to become a midshipman. I wanted okay. to go to Annapolis. Uh-huh. I see. But when I was shot. Well, right. I got as you. I said, uh, you know, they don't take yeah. people there who can't see the ocean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so now you mentioned something that I would like to just stay with it for just a minute. Before being shot, you mentioned that your stepfather was abusive. And I want people to understand what is that like for a person who lives in a situation where there is a lot of a physical abuse going on? What is that like? Well, let me describe it this way. Mm-hmm. We had we had about a half mile long driveway. And whenever my brother and I would be let off the um the bus each each day, and we'd be walking off that driveway, the closer we got to the house, the more we kind of like started feeling nervous and sweating and and kind of, I don't know how to, you know, tighten the stomach, because when you're living with somebody like that, you can't predict what's going to happen, and you never know when you're going to be either physically, or I think even worse, Mm -hmm. emotionally and spiritually abused. Right, yeah. I can only imagine. So uh, did you, I mean, at the time, you probably weren't thinking about the word traumatized but looking back would you say that you were traumatized by that experience yes yes uh, but yeah again and and i don't know how people people are going to won't understand this unless you do it go Mm -hmm. through it yes i was traumatized but the trauma i think Help me progress. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was uh, Booker T. Washington who said, uh, "You can't pro- progress unless there's struggle." Mm. Okay. And I personally, you know, I since since the thirties, or since I was in the th- my thirties, looking back on my life, I have felt that being shot, or well, actually. 
becoming blind has been the best thing in my life mm -hmm. because yeah. mm -hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Um, that's, you know, that's what you said, because I did a little study and you know, found that quote as well, boy, we got to talk about that, but I want to come back to that if you don't mind. Um, sure. So, but I just want to try to understand a little more about what happened. You said, you know, that you were, were, were shot. I mean, what, what can you tell us about that, about what happened? And about the person who actually pulled the trigger. Well, um, you know, many people have asked me to try and describe him or describe why it happened, or and the thing I never can, and I don't like to waste my energy on it because, mm -hmm. as I always say about people like that. You can't you, you you can't use logic to describe illogic. Yeah. And yeah. I can't really describe what happened or why he did what he did mm -hmm. because it's not rational. It it's mm -hmm. not something that, that's able to be figured. And I think it's a waste of energy to do to try gotcha. to figure that. I understand. I agree with you on that one for sure. But you said something elsewhere you know I had to do a little research about you right and once, <laughs> you're, once you're on the internet they got you you know but I heard you I, when you when I read this I said wow you said and I'm just going to start it and I want you to say more about it you said about the person who shot you that you were not angry so much with him but that you were angry not to say that it was no anger but you were angry with the illness do you recall saying that yes can you tell us what you what you meant by that? You know, I think this is this is a way to forgive, to to move, to unburden oneself. Mm -hmm. You know, you could I could I could have after I was shot and I was in the hospital, I could have been mad and angry at him and and but I don't feel it's a person that is evil. I feel it is their illness. It is, well, to me, it's a spiritual illness, but, you know, whatever, what do you, whether you want to call it a mental illness or what, I don't know, it, it's up to you. But when you are angry at that rather than the person, I think it helps, helps you move forward, helps, it helped me move forward. And mm -hmm. so, I was able to struggle. I was able to focus more on what I had rather than what I didn't have. Yeah, but that's when I said, "Wow!" When I read that about you, I, I said, "Wow!" And I, <laughs> I had the thought. I had the thought, and I want you to, to let me know if I'm on track here. I said, "Wait a minute, Adam must have, at some point along the way, must have experienced like a spiritual awakening or something, because you saw that through. I mean, it was just a beautiful way to see that to reframe that." Is anything spiritual about this that is coming through for you that gave you this power to recast what happened in such a powerful, positive light? Well, okay, you remember I, I spoke about the library. Yeah. I spent so many, that's where I first was introduced to parts of the Bible. You know, I I didn't read a lot of it because, well, it's, it's a big book. <laughs> and I... You know, a young boy sometimes doesn't do that. <laughs> but I read 
a lot of people, like I talked about the Churchills, the, the Lawrence of Arabia or T.E. Lawrence, uh, you know, and then, but one time I came across this book. It was the Time Life Picture History of World War II. Mm-hmm. And what it showed, if you ever have seen that book, it shows pictures of horrible, well, for me, all you could see death in that, like, mm-hmm. you know, because there was a war, of course, and so the pictures of the, of the horrendous inhumanity that man can do. Yeah. And it made me realize that it, it actually helped me value life more. Mm-hmm. It helped, and that has helped me throughout my whole life treasure, not just life for me, of course, but life for people around me. And that's why I believe that the best way to help somebody or help yourself is to help somebody wow. to be a contribution in life. That's that's powerful, Adam, I'm telling you. Um, you know, I met you, I'm gonna take you back now, almost 20 years ago, I believe, in Raleigh, North Carolina, where, when you were in graduate school. Um, but you said something to me, I wanna, I want to throw it out there, and I want you to, to elaborate for me. Uh, in fact, we had a brief conversation about this last week when we, when we talked. I do recall you telling me, you said, when you woke up in the hospital after being shot, you said, I knew that I was blind. Mm-hmm. You told me something else. You said, and I knew I would accept it. Now, you may not remember the quote, but you told me that. <laughs> Tell, tell, take us back to that and, and tell me what you think about what I just said and whether I made it up. Over the years. No, no, you didn't make it up. You didn't make it up. Yeah, I've thought back on that. Um, you know, I can't, I can't describe or can't, can't tell you the, the logic behind certain feelings that I had that I just knew certain things. Mm. And It was like, um, I remember one time there in the hospital, I just lay there and I felt the sun on my side of my face coming in from the window and I heard a bird and, and listened to it, the beauty of it. And I realized, you know, just because I can't sit doesn't mean I can't enjoy life. Wow. And I realized that there's so much in life to focus on. Why focus on what you, what is, why focus on the darkness? Why not focus on the, what's true and good and beautiful? Why not focus on the blessings? Whoa, man, I tell you what, if you have that degree of wisdom, you need to write several books because we (laughs) all need to be touched by this. Whoa. So now, Look, but what what were some of your early emotions? I mean, all of them could not have been positive. What were some of your early feelings after you discovered not only what had happened, who did it, but the results of it? Well, you know, when 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 I said that the greatest thing that happened to me was being blind, that I I don't mean to say that it's, it's easy being blind. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, there were there were times 
you know, the first first year, I guess, that I was able to really, I had to have a lot of physical therapy, but the first year I was really able to walk, you know, I wanted to go outside of the house. I wanted to, you know, just walk around like I used to, mm-hmm. but I couldn't because I get lost, you know, or, or fall off a, a curb and get in a hurt. And I realized that I would have to get cane and I didn't want to do that. And I didn't want to do that. And then I realized eventually that unless I did that, I could never go forward. Mm. And that taught me a lesson. Sometimes you have to be dependent to be independent. Mm. And I found that true in life, you know, whether it's depending on a friend or depending on uh, God or depending on (laughs) a professor at North Carolina State uh, University, you know, sometimes you have to depend on other people in order to advance. Mm. And you you can also be a a person to help help somebody else advance too. Right. Wow. I tell you what, I just, just hearing you talk about this is, I just feel the profound wisdom that that's coming from you. So when you went back to when you went back to school, Adam, you're still a teenager. What was that like? Oh, firstly, let me back up. What was it like learning to get around in your new reality? What was that like? <laughs> that was very difficult, but you know, maybe it was because of my upbringing and the background that I mentioned, but. Because I've always been a positive person, I realized, you know, in order for me to go to to kind of be included, so to speak, I had to make people comfortable with me because, you know, I was very different. You know, nobody else is blind. They're, by the way, the first year when I went to school, I had because of the surgery, I had a a part of my skull, front skull taken out. So I had to wear a bike helmet all the time, a red bike okay. helmet. So, okay. you know, I, I really stood out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, but like I said, to make people comfortable around me, I needed to be attractive in a sense. So I would always joke about things or like, for instance, um, you know, uh, Star Star Wars was very popular the year I was at school. So uh, my mother helped me paint my helmet black. Yeah. I had a black jacket and my cane was white. So, you know, I looked like Darth Vader. Walking out the no, hallway. Yeah. Yeah, I got people you. People loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, hu- speaking of humor, uh, pardon me for injecting, but. That reminded me of something I read that you said, and I'm trying to jog your memory now. You said something about being on the subway in New York and someone commented about your dog. Uh, can you, do you recall that story? Can you share that with us? I, I laughed out loud when I saw that. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking okay. about. So I... let, me, let me try to jog your memory a little bit more. Uh, you you said you were with you know your dog, and right. then someone a passenger commented, 
you must like your blind dog. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> That's right. I had, I had a saying I dog and they said, you know, we, we like your blind dog. And you know, it's like, well, I hope he's not blind because if so, I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> if a blind oh, dog is leading me yeah, around. <laughs> yeah. It's it's wonderful to, to hear. But I saw that if he has a good sense of humor because you know some people could have been offended. But when I read that about you, apparently you were not offended. You just made it into something uh, humorous. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, I love it. I love it, Adam. Hey, so then you, you know, after high school, you made the decision to go to college. I mean, do you realize how many kids who do not make a decision <laughs> to go to college? But you decided to go to college. What, what prompted you? What motivated you? What inspired you? To say, you know, I'm on a college education. Well, you know, since I couldn't do the things that I wanted to, you know, like my dream of going to Annapolis and all that, yeah. I had always, even from that library, <laughs> I've always loved reading and research. Mm. And, you know, one of the things I fell in love with was history, American mm. history especially. I think the blessings of of the Constitution and and the Declaration and and all of during that time, I found such joy in studying that, mm. and I wanted to continue doing so. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I found the richness of that, and that urged me to go into college to yeah. study that further, and. Uh, that's what led me to, to meet you. Yeah, <laughs> Which, yeah, you that's know, great. You advanced me further. That's great. And you continue your studies. And I won't talk about graduate school in a moment. But, you know, um, I I found something about you at Swarthmore, Swarthmore. College. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it said, and I don't have all of the details, that you helped the library develop uh, material that could help people who were either blind or low vision. Uh, did, do, can you tell us about the kinds of things that you might have helped them do, if I got that right? Yes. Um, well, of course, as I think that a lot of schools have it now, but back then in, in the 80s, gosh, mm -hmm. I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, there were people like myself couldn't read a lot of books i mean a lot of the, a lot of the history books and all are things that aren't weren't accessible to somebody who was blind they would have to be read on tape and so i decided to kind of found a, a library or a, a place that had all these books on tape so therefore it would anybody who wanted to eventually go into history they could or anybody that wanted to go into I don't, I don't, any subject you know there were a lot of, there was something accessible to them you know yeah. it I remember <laughs> I remember I know you don't want to talk about grad school but but I'll talk a little bit about it if you don't mind right now mm -hmm. I had an apartment right across the library from the library and you know, so many times in my class, I had a Russian history class. And so many times when I they talk about things that 
I couldn't participate in because I couldn't read the books. I couldn't go into that library and, and read the books. Adam, you were telling us about, you know, taking, wanting to take a, a Russian class in Russian history and you, you know, could not read the books. So therefore you were working with the library of Swarthorne College to help them get material on tape. Can you tell us more about that? Right, right. Well, once I, I came home after class, I got I uh, got onto my computer and I realized there were libraries on the internet available, mm. and I could go and I finally I had access just like everybody else who could go into a library. I could also go into a library, so a new world opened up for me that hadn't been there in the you know before in the nineties and and all that. Mm -hmm. It was and you know it was like. The tape libraries, yes, were good that I tried to do it or that I did at Swarthmore, but yeah. this was even better. That's great. That's great. It's awesome. Now, at Swarthmore, as I said, I did my homework, Adam. What can I tell you? I, I learned that you were also a DJ, possibly at more than one radio station. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they were the college radio stations there. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Um, I don't think that we had that many people heard us, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we had a blues station, we had a blue show and we had a other different, different programs. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh -huh. Did you enjoy that experience, you know, serving as a DJ? Very, very much. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Swarthmore, if you don't mind, I'd like to mention one thing about Swarthmore. Maybe you found this or not between my I believe it was my junior and senior year I was I, I was introduced to a friend and he started a program called Magic mm. Motivation and Growth in Children and we taught summer school uh, we went to a church down in, uh, in Chester, Pennsylvania in the inner city there and they gave us their basement so we could have school for younger, for really young children in the inner city. Mm -hmm. And that experience taught me so much. In fact, I, I almost feel that I learned more there than I learned in the in, in the four years at Swarthmore yeah. in the classrooms. Wow! Because yeah. um, one of our one of our students, one morning we got a call that he couldn't come into school because his uncle had been shot via oh. a drug deal that had gone wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were, we were brought in, um, you know, the police talked to us and all and about the difficulties in the inner cities and problems with not just drugs, but also human trafficking mm. that they dealt with there. And that, that helped me understand the world uh, at a much deeper level and in fact it was then that I started getting too really interested in the readings and the of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. and yeah. you know I would urge anybody my favorite one of my favorite things is a letter from the Birmingham jail yeah that has 
impacted my life more than anything else, I think. Mm. Okay, yeah, that, that is a beautiful piece of writing for sure. Yeah. yeah. So look, I mean, but you know, after graduating from Swarthmore, you had this desire to do graduate studies. Is it the love of history? What's pulling you? What's driving you? The love of, yes, the love of history, but the love of, again, just learning. To me, mm -hmm. every day is an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. But you can also put yourself in situations where you can, you can learn so much from others. You know, yeah. life is often... When you have choice, life is full of choices. And when you have the choice to learn, or at least for me, when I have the choice to learn or not to, well, I'm always going to go for learning. Mm. Mm. I know that I, you know, I need to, I, I'm not, you know, like the, the song turning dust into diamonds. I'm not a diamond. I have to be perfected. Mm. And life is a process of perfection. Wow. And to me, that's one step to polish that gem, mm. polish that rock. Mm. Well, I tell you, I mean, I, I'm touched uh, by so many things I've learned about you in that respect. And just to toss it out, toss it back at you, I read in my research about you that you actually stated this before. You said, and I'm quoting you now, and I want you to expound a little more. You said, life is a learning experience. Can you can you articulate that a little more for us? Because there are two things, not only what you're learning in terms of studying, but what you're learning from life. Can you give us a little more about what you might have meant when you said that life is a learning experience? Yes, um, a lot of it is how you choose to learn like for instance when i lost my when i first lost my sight and i came up to high school you know blind i didn't a, a disabled person especially when he's wearing a helmet uh, a bike helmet and you know you, you kind of suddenly pushed off to the side you're not included and rather than take um, offense at that, I chose to use that time for observation. Mm -hmm. I like to observe what was going on around me. You know, you can go through life angry at what, at the hand that has been dealt to you at, at your your physical limitations, so to speak, or your your whatever you want to call it, you know, your your mental limitations, your whatever. Hmm. But those who live beyond their limitations are the ones that are going to succeed in life hmm. and also enjoy life. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Adam. Hey, I want to ask you a question about artificial intelligence. And I'm going to tell you why. As a person who has a physical impairment, AI has impacted my life. And let me tell you why. Because now, just something as simple as turning off my lamp 
you know, before AI, when I went into my bedroom, I had to turn the light off, then jump in the bed. And I wouldn't want the, the, the trouble of trying to get out of bed. Right. And turn, you know, it's a lot of trouble for me as a physically limited person. But now I can just tell Alexa, turn it off, turn it on, you know? So my question to you, Adam, has AI impacted your life in any way? <laughs> I, immensely, you know, it wasn't too long ago that I, I told my wife, I said, I don't know why I married you. Alexa does everything <laughs> for me. Oh. That wasn't very popular. I would not <laughs> recommend doing that. Uh, oh, oh boy. But, you know, I have often also said to people, to friends of mine who are blind or what, it is so much easier being blind now than it was in the 80s. Mm. There were times at college, you know, every day, every meal, I would have to ask somebody for help to go to the cafeteria. Mm. There were times I couldn't find somebody. So I just wouldn't eat. There were many times when I just didn't have food. Or, uh, you know, if I did have food, it might be a little, uh, it might be something small that I had in my room, you know, like a cup of soup or something. And it wasn't really a good good breakfast or a good uh, meal. Mm -hmm. uh, AI has helped, or, well, or well, virtual things have helped so much, you know, I have a talking computer or uh, and so I can read pretty much anything now. Wow. I can't see pictures of course on the internet but yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and read a lot of other things but uh graphs and excel but I could read emails, I can read magazine, I can read everything. Mm. That's great. That's awesome. You know, that's awesome. So I want to talk about the world of work now. Well, how, I know, what's work like for you? What's, what is it like? Yeah, what, what's, what is it like at work? Yeah, well, it's 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 pretty much the same thing as, you know, um, there, now, of course, there are certain things I can't do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I work at a utility company, so you won't see me working out on power lines. Uh, but yeah. working in the office, you know, there's a lot of people who go over the accounts um, on the computer. Well, I can do that. There's people on the phones. I can do that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And besides, I liked, I like interacting with people anyway. Yeah, yeah, you have one of those personalities. You're very outgoing. You know, you said something. Um, let me see if I can frame this right. You said that, Sometimes other people, it's not like they, it's not, it's not like they just want to be cruel to a person who is, you know, uh, has a disability of some sort. Right. It's just that they just don't know what to do. I want to share a story with you. Um, and this is about myself. And I think I consider myself to be very open-minded. Uh, but about 40 years ago, so it's a long time ago, I was living in another state, a young, much younger man. And uh, I went into this office and the person who, greeted me at the customer service counter was blind. And Adam, I was uncomfortable. You know why? Because I didn't know if I was asking her to do something that she could not do. And that made me uncomfortable. And right. you talked about, you know, you talked about, tell us about that disability in other people. 
Well, okay. <laughs> now, I want to make sure that I'm clear. I wasn't uncomfortable because she was blind. Right. I was comfortable because I wasn't sure. You don't want to make her asking something that she could not perform. Right. Yeah. You don't want to put her in awkward. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, you know, yeah, I have the unique advantage of once being sighted. Mm. So I know what I would have been like if I was sighted and I saw somebody approaching me who was, uh, you know, physically uh, challenged or, vis mm. you know, visually challenged like me or visually impaired like me. Um, and I know that I may have avoided them hmm. because just like you said, I, and to not do something that would make them feel uncomfortable or me feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. I would just not, you know, I would just absent myself from the situation. Yeah, yeah. The thing I realized when I was, when I was, when I became blind, was that even when you do make it, when you, somebody who's sighted or whatever, you know, it's approaching me, and even if you do do something awkward, mm -hmm. I still like it because at least you're talking to me. Mm. You know, one thing that I understand also is that oftentimes people get too offended too easily. Yeah. And so we are often gun shy about, about interacting with somebody because we, we think that they might bite us, bite our head off. Yeah. 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 And they don't mean any harm, right? Because, you know, I had the experience with, with my mother and I want you to respond to this. I think I haven't told this story, but I'm going to say now my mother, I knew she loved me very much. But I was visiting, my daughter was there, we were going to a family event, and I was going to drive, but at a, <laughs> I don't think she was comfortable because of my, and my, and my physical disability had gone down a good deal. She was not comfortable with me behind the steering wheel. Right. And she wanted my daughter to drive. I didn't say anything, I just let my daughter drive. But So sometimes people don't, they don't mean, they're not like mean-spirited, but they just don't know, I suppose. Right. Uh, do you know what I'm trying to say? And, and can you tell us more? Yeah, well, I know exactly what you're trying to say. And yeah, and you know, the, the thing, the thing, and it's something it takes a lot of patience and love. You have to be patient with that. Yeah. Because as I said, you know, being having been, been cited before, I know. What I would have naturally done is a human as human reaction. You know, part of part of and I don't need to tell you this because you know history, but part of the major part of history that I like is that it's a study of human nature. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've you've seen human nature over the over the centuries, and it's pretty much always the same. Yeah, and the treatment of people who are disabled or otherwise, you know, some oftentimes it's not intentional hurt, but you can hurt people by what you don't do. 
by not including them because even though you think that you're helping them, you're hurting them. Mm. Help can often turn into hurt. Wow. Wow. Okay. What advice would you give to someone who has a significant disability of any kind? You know, there's there's a, I think it's a quote by Ralph Waddle Emerson. Um, the greatest gift is a portion of thyself. Mm. You know, giving yourself is a blessing. Mm. And I would say that if somebody is disabled if they're like i know many people who are suffering from de depression yeah. and they want to stay inside if you're disabled physically or if you're disabled by some other illness or whatever connect with people go out put yourself out there let because and hopefully there will be somebody who will share that greatest gift they will they will lift you up encourage you I have been encouraged because, you know, it wasn't easy for me to go up to your class for my dorm. It's it wasn't easy at all to get out of my dorm room and to go or it, to go to college, but I did because I wanted to be out among people because I knew that I could meet people like you, Stephen, that would lift me up and encourage me. And oftentimes I would meet people yeah. who are dead, yeah. who would lift me up. And I'm talking about the writers of books. Yeah, gotcha. That's awesome. That is awesome. Hey, look, um, I'm going to go back to that quote that you started and I asked you to save it because I want you to really share on this one. And I am still just uh, touched by the way you said it. You know, um, and I'm quoting it now. You said, becoming blind has been the best thing that has ever happened to me in life. Now, you know, tell us about what you mean by that, because people may get a little confused about all this. But tell us about what you mean by this. What I mean is that the journey I've been on since 1983, when I was shot, lost my sight. The people that I've come across, the people who have lifted me up, the obstacles I've had to overcome, the trials, the struggles, pretty much everything. I feel that I can see better now than I did when I was actually physically sighted before 16. Wow. You know, as I said before, and I think I even mentioned to you once, um, though you don't have physical eyesight, mm. I feel I have vision. Mm. Mm. Man, I'm telling you, Adam, um, are you writing? Are you writing a book? Are you writing any books? You got a lot to say. <laughs> no, no. So look, I'm going to throw this challenge out to you. You got some books in you. You guys, you got to bring those books out, Adam. 
<laughs> has my wife been talking to you because she's mentioned that too but i i don't you write the book for me <laughs> well look you have two witnesses who are telling you or urging you not telling you urging you to to write some books you have two witnesses we're not going to let up either so <laughs> yeah. so you're, you're living life fully um adam you know marriage uh you know some people who are, are have a disability especially younger people you know struggle with this will i be able to find a mate blah 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 but you're living life fully i mean you know goodness What's your secret? <laughs> uh, you, I know you're handsome. What's your, you know, you're handsome, but educated. You probably got a lot of money. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I have riches in other ways. Yeah. You know, the last, especially the last twenty some years, I've really focused on the theological studies, my religious studies, Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, I really felt that. You know, that has been a large part of my life. I really grew to have a really appreciation for the Christian worldview mm -hmm. and Christianity back in those woods when I looked at that beautiful world that we have. Yeah. And it stayed with me, even though I can't see, I can't see the physical I know that I'm living in that kind of world. Mm. You know, when you're way out in the country, I used to look up and see the Milky Way all the time. I can't see those stars now, mm. but I know what they're like. And I know they're there. Well, I'm telling you, Adam, um, to me, you are an historian, a philosopher, and a poet. In fact, that's where I'm going to listen to you. Let me write it down on the podcast. Historian, philosopher, poet. <laughs> That's what you are to be. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm writing it down. Hello. Right. Are we, are, we are getting ready to close out. Is there anything else you want to share with us that you have not shared before already? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't really think I have anything more right now. No. Okay. Okay. Well, look, I've enjoyed uh, our time together immensely, and I hope that I'm going to give you two years. In about two years, we'll come back and talk about your first book. How about that? <laughs> Only if you write it. <laughs> okay, you're not going to commit, huh? Okay. Well, Adam, <laughs> thank you so much for being with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. You've been listening to the Possibility Action Network podcast. Our guest today has been Adam LaSalle, historian, philosopher, and poet. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton. Until next time, good day. You are not alone, just keep on.